Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Do you know Jesus personally? If you do, then you are His witness. If you can, please open your Bible to Acts chapter 1 for today's message, The Mindset of an Effective Witness. How can we be an effective witness for Jesus Christ? Now, He's called us to be that. He has commanded us to be that. He expects us to be that. And the question is, how can we be an effective witness for Jesus Christ? The first thing I would say is this. An effective witness is living the right kind of life. An effective witness shares with others what Christ is done is doing and has done in his own life, but he shares that out of the overflow. It's a natural thing. It's not a mechanical thing. It's interesting. On Thursday night before I went to bed, I wanted to read the Bible. And I had already read the Bible, my Bible reading that part of the day, but I just I turned the television off and I said, I just want to read something in the Bible. And so I got my Bible and I said, what am I going to read? And so I said, I want to just read Philippians. Four chapters, short book, and so I just read it. And then I was blessed. I went to bed, and Friday night, same thing happened. I said, before I go to bed, I want to read the Bible again. Even though I've already had my quiet time, I just was in the mood to read the Bible. And so I got it, and I thought, what should I read? And I just had this feeling, read Philippians again. And so I read it again. And on my second reading through Philippians, I noticed something I'd never noticed in all my life. Down in the, in the first chapter... And in verse 25, you know, Paul had been trying to figure out, he said, I can't decide whether I, it would be better for me to go to heaven. He said, that'd be better for me, or whether I should stay on the earth, that'd be better for you, so I can keep preaching and encouraging and helping you for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. But in verse 25, Paul uses a phrase that I never had noticed, and the phrase was this, the joy of faith. Think about that. The joy of faith. Thursday night, I read right past it, didn't even see it. Friday night, I guess since I just read it the night before, I was looking for things I hadn't seen. And that phrase, the joy of faith. Paul was saying to those Philippian believers, if God will let me stay on this earth a little bit longer and continue to preach and continue to minister and continue to, to help you grow, you're going to come to a place where you experience the joy of faith in Christ. And I never had thought of it quite in that context, but think about this. Our faith in Jesus should produce joy in our life. Do you believe that? Say amen. The joy of faith. They say, what does that have to do with being a witness? Everything. Because as we're trying to help other people receive what we have received, if it hasn't made a positive change in our life, why in the world would they want it? And so the joy of faith. And so an effective witness has that. An effective witness is not silly or giddy, not necessarily, but, but a, an effective witness is happy. And an effective witness is joyful. And an effective witness has that something about his or her personality that is attractive, that is magnetic, that is real, that is genuine. And so may God give us that, and may we be living the right kind of life. Isaiah said in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace, double shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you, so that if we will trust Jesus, 
We can just fly above those things in life. What is it that trips us up in life? I was thinking about this yesterday. What are the things in life that trip us up more than anything else? Sin. Sin will trip you up every time. Worry. Worry will trip you up and, and, and take, the, take the sunshine right out of your sky. It really will. And then wrong priorities. That will mess you up if you spend your whole life pursuing the wrong thing. But if we're fo- think about this. If we're focusing on Jesus, we're not going to sin. I mean, Certainly, we're going to sin less if we're focusing on Him. We're not going to worry. We're trusting Him. And our priorities are going to be what He would have them to be. And so I'm saying the first step in being an effective witness is not memorizing a gospel presentation. As in, in, that's important to do that. The first step is just to be walking in unbroken fellowship with Jesus so that you have a joy about your life. You know, I, I think one of my favorite psalms says this way, those who look to Him are radiant. That is, if we look to God, we're going to have a radiance about us, and that is very attractive, and other people will want that. Well, let's move on from there and get into some new material. An effective witness is not only living the right kind of life, but an effective witness has the right mindset. Not just the right life, but the right mindset. In other words, they're thinking right. The Scripture says, as a man thinks so is he. Our thoughts determine everything, and that's especially true when it comes to being an effective witness, leading people to Christ. We have to get our mind in the right place. I'm going to give you two phrases today that I think help explain the mindset of an effective witness, of a soul winner. And while we're walking through this, you just should be asking yourself, when is the last time you led another human being to faith in Jesus Christ? And you say, well, John, that's been a long... Well, then that, let me ask it a softer way. When is the last time you shared Christ with another person and gave them an opportunity to be saved? Really, whether they got saved or not, it's not up to you. But when's the last time you actually shared Christ? So these two phrases, I think, help us to understand how we can have our mind in the right place. And the first phrase is simply this. I'm here as God's representative. Now, I want you to think about that. I'm here as God's representative, an effective witness. Everywhere that person is realizes that that person is there as God's representative. Wherever you are, in church, at school, at the academy, at a restaurant, at Baybrook Mall, we need to realize that we are there as God's representative. And number two thing, we need to, the number two thing, I'm here to create a God consciousness. And I think if we could get those two things in our minds, wherever we are. Now, there are some people today, if I mention their names, you're going to immediately think of something. For example, if I say Jose Altuve, you think of what? You think of the Astros. If I say uh, D'Amico Ryan, you think of, no, nobody knows yet, but he's a uh, He's a new coach of the Texans, and we'll get to know him better as we go. If I say Hakeem Olajuwon, you think of the good old days, right? Could we bring him out of retirement and hook him back up with the Rockets and maybe run another championship? So these people, you think of them. You you think of their names, just their name. You see their face on television or the newspaper. Immediately, you associate that person with whatever it is they represent. What I'm saying is when people think of you, the first thing they should think of is God. When people think of me, the first thing they should think of is God. We should create a God consciousness. We are on this earth 
to make people think about God. Now, how can we do that? Well, let's just keep going on. Let's get to the third, to the third point. An effective witness, and I mentioned this last week. I want to develop it now. An effective witness has the discernment. Now, here we are at the restaurant. We're at the mall. We're at the ball game. We're at work. We're in the community with our family, wherever we might be. We are there as God's representative, and we are there to create a God consciousness. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, number three, an effective witness has the discernment to know whether he is there to plant a seed, to water a seed, or to reap a harvest. And the key word on that point is discernment. An effective witness has the discernment. Yes, we're God's representative. Yes, we're there to create a God consciousness. But we have to know what we're doing. And we have to have discernment. And we can't be silly or pushy or over the top. And we have to realize well, maybe God has us there to plant a seed. Maybe God has us there to water a seed that somebody else planted. Or maybe God has us there to reap a harvest, to actually present the gospel. And lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I look at this congregation. My dad and I talk about this from time to time. I look at this congregation today. There are probably about 850 or 900 people in this service right now. Somewhere in that neighborhood. And I just think to myself, if somehow we could figure out a way to harness all the power that is in this room. So that me, all of us together, could join hands and hearts and, and do what I'm talking about today, to be effective witnesses whose lives have been changed by God. We have joy in our heart, who, who not only that, we do view ourselves as God's representative, creating a God consciousness in the world, and we're going out into the world using discernment. God, am I here to plant a seed? I know I'm here on purpose. I'm not here by accident. God, I know I'm here uh, to create this. God, am I here to water a seed? Am I here to reap a harvest? God, why am I here? We're witnesses. You remember last week I talked about a witness. What does a witness do? Witness doesn't know everything. Witness is not necessarily the smartest person in the courtroom. No. A, a witness doesn't reach the verdict. A witness is there to tell what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has experienced, and what he knows to be true. That's why a witness is there. And it's interesting. Last Sunday, between services, I was in the commons, and I bumped into a judge, a member of our church who's a judge. And I'm a, I had been up here talking about being a witness in the courtroom and all this stuff. And I saw the judge, and I thought, man, I hope I said it right. I'm going to be in trouble now. And I said to the judge, I said, Your Honor, did I describe the courtroom setting right? He said, You did. You described it just right. He said, But you know, there's one thing you could have said that might have been interesting. And I said, give it to me. I'm always looking to lengthen my sermons and say more. What could I have said? <laughs> he said, well, you could have said this. A witness, more often than not, is not the only witness. A witness is not there to cover every base. He said, you said it right, a witness tells what they've experienced, but you could have made the point that after this witness shares, more likely, more than likely, another witness will come and share what they've experienced. And he said, as that pertains to what you were preaching about today, he said, I think that's such a good point. He said, we need to remember when we're sharing our faith in Christ with others, we may not be we probably won't be the first person who's done this, and we may not be the last person. We're just doing, we're trying to figure out what our part is in helping this person to think about God and to think about being saved. 
and we're here to be a witness. He said it better than what I'm trying to say. Are we there to plant a seed, water a seed, or are we there to reap a harvest? We're trying to figure out, God, what is my role? You think about to your, back, back to your own salvation. More than likely, there were many people who shared Christ with you, who taught you a Bible verse, who shared their testimony with you. I mean, I look at my own life as I was saved as a child, came to the full assurance of my salvation as an adult. If I were writing out all the people who helped me know Christ, certainly I start with my parents. They were the primaries. But I also had coaches and teachers and Sunday school teachers and other pastors that I listened to, some of them I've never met. Some of them, I read their books. They've been in heaven for a hundred years. And yet God used all of those people's witness, all of their sharing of words, all of their testimonies to help me come to the full assurance of my own salvation. What that judge was saying was right. He's saying we need to figure out what is our part in this person's spiritual birth or spiritual development. Now, I jotted some things down. Number one, as you think about just planting a seed, creating a God consciousness, that's all you're trying to do. And this week, all of our assignment, myself included, is wherever we are to be mindful of the fact that we're God's representative and we're there to create a God consciousness. So first I would say, be natural. Be natural. Just let your light shine. If you're saved, Jesus is already in your heart. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men. Just be natural. You don't even have to try. Just, just walk with God, and God somehow will show forth in your life. The second thing I would say is be pleasant, not annoying. In other words, you don't want people to dread seeing you coming. You don't. I used to go to 24-hour fitness a lot to work out up here on Fairmont. When I would go up there to work out, as the years went by, I made friends, and some of those guys got saved. But I never walked in that gym and said, who's getting saved today? No, I walked in the gym to work out. But I walked in the gym with Jesus. And I walked in the gym realizing, consciously or subconsciously, I'm God's representative in this place, and I'm just here to create a God consciousness. We, we talked about sports. We talked about family. We talked about money. We talked about politics. We, but, but I'm just saying, as time went by and I developed relationships, some of those guys got saved. Some of those gals got saved. They've been baptized here, and it was, a, it was a great thing. But I never wanted it to be when they looked up and saw me coming in that they would say, oh, no, here he comes now. <laughs> no. I wanted, and I never even thought about that till this morning. I never even thought what I wanted them to think, because it, it was just normal in that. But in retrospect, I wanted, I guess, I wanted them to think, well, here comes John. This ought to be fun. This ought to be good. We're going to have a good conversation, because I always thought the conversation was just as important as the lifting of the weights. In fact, it's more enjoyable sometimes. But anyway, we want to be pleasant, not annoying. At a restaurant, for example, yeah, you want to create a God conscious. You want to plant a seed. But if you're over the top, the waiter's going to dread coming to your table. He's going to, but you don't want it to be that. You want him to think, man, these people at my table are nice. I can't, I, got, I can't wait to get back to them. So be pleasant, not annoying. Number three thing I would say, accept the limitations of a given situation. Some situations, you're just limited in what you can do. For example, on Friday, I went to HEB. So I'm standing in line, checking out, spending $116. I, I cannot figure out how a guy who lives alone and doesn't cook spends $116 a week on groceries. Thank God for granola bars is all I can say on that. But that guy's just running, scanning everything. Now, 
that was not the opportunity for me to say, while you're ringing this up, I want to just take a few minutes and tell you how you can be saved and how you can go to heaven when you die. Well, he, he, I mean, it's not the case. He's, run, he's busy. He's concentrating. And if I had done that, that takes about 10 or 12 minutes. I can assure you the people in line behind me would not have been happy. Would they hurry up, man? And I'd have said, hey, I'm trying to tell this man how he can go to heaven. And they said, if you don't hurry up, we're going to send you to heaven right now. <laughs> this ain't the place for that. And it's not the place for it. It's the place to do what? It's the place to be kind. It's the place to be courteous. It's the place to be thankful. It's a place, perhaps, to say, God bless you. At Christmas, it's a place to say, Merry Christmas. If he says, Happy Holidays, it's not for me to say, No, not Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas. God came to give us joy and love. (laughs) But I know some Christians who do that. If somebody says, Happy Holidays, it makes them mad. And they strike back. Look, I, I say Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. But the root of holidays is holy. I mean, we may not have forgot, but if somebody says happy holidays, true, they're probably trying not to say Merry Christmas, they're trying to be politically correct, but say something like this, say, well, I hope you have a good holiday season too, and I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Now, that's very, that's sweet. That doesn't offend them. I read something the other day that said, tact is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. And if you're just going to blow everybody out of the water who says happy holidays and you're going to make your case on Merry well, I'm going to say Merry Christmas too, but I'm going to try to do it different. Now, another thing, uh, so that's at the grocery store. It's just not, how about in an elevator? I, I, through the years, visited a lot of hospitals. Sometimes you'd be on an elevator and you're riding up. Maybe you're by yourself on the elevator and somebody comes in the elevator, just the two of you there. And, you know, I normally would speak and, how you doing? I, I'm not going to be creepy or weird or anything, but just, you know, <laughs> how you doing? And many times... I've had this experience. They'll say to me, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. But if I'm riding up an elevator and going up to the 17th floor, and on floor six, somebody gets on, and now we're going to go, I'm going to say, well, now we've got 11 floors to ride up, and I want to tell you how to be saved. And they're thinking, I want to be saved from this elevator ride is what I want to be saved from. But it's a time I'm blessed. You know, when somebody, if somebody asks you, how you're doing. Now, what can you say in response to that that would create a God consciousness? You could say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. That, that's not telling them how to be saved. That's not the same thing. But it is creating a God consciousness. Sometimes in a restaurant. I've never really done this. I may need to start. But I know some people who they will say at the end of a meal to the person who's been serving their table. They've had a normal conversation all the way through. At the end of the meal... They will say, how can I pray for you? Well, I think that creates a God consciousness. I don't think that's too pushy. I think that's appropriate. Now, as I want to make clear, planting a seed and sharing the gospel is not the same thing. Inviting somebody to church and sharing the gospel is not the same thing. But hear me very carefully on this. Planting a seed, sharing the gospel... And inviting somebody to church are all appropriate depending on the situation that you're in in that moment. They're all appropriate. We need discernment to know why am I here? What am I doing? This past Wednesday night, beautiful illustration of this. At the end of the sermon, I gave an invitation. 
explained how to be saved, led in the prayer to be saved. It's on a Wednesday night, smallest service of the week. There were about almost 250 people in here last week. And I, I didn't know if anybody would stand or not. So I just standing here like I do on Sunday. If you'd like to stand, stand. One man stands up in the upper level. I acknowledge him. Another person stands. Three people stood up on Wednesday night to be saved. I said at the end of the service, you, the three of you who stood, I want to shake your hand and look you in the eye. I want, I'm going straight to the family room, and I'm asking you to give me 10 minutes of your time so we can meet. I went in there. There were other ministers there. All three of them came in there. We sat around a table, and we talked. First thing that struck me about those three guys was how young they were. I said to one of them, how old are you? I'm 21. How old are you? 25. How old are you? 30. I said to the 21-year-old, tell me how you got to church on a Wednesday night. He said, well, I grew up in this church. My family's always gone to this church. He said, I just felt like I need to start coming to the Wednesday night service, so I came tonight. And he said, there was something about that, what God was saying to me during that sermon. And at the end, he said, I just knew this was my night to get saved. I said to the 30-year-old, I said, how about you? He said, well, my family and I, my wife and I and kids, we've decided we need to get in church. And so we started visiting churches, and he said, First Baptist Pasadena was the second church we visited. I wanted to say, why wasn't it the first church that you visited? <laughs> he said, it's the second church we visited. And he said, on our first visit here, we knew this is where we need to go to church. And he said, so I want, he said, my wife's not even with me tonight. But I wanted to come to church on Wednesday night, and I'm so glad I did. He said, God spoke to me, and I just got saved. I said to that 25-year-old, I said, how about you? How would you get up here on a Wednesday night? 25. He said, well, I work with a guy named Perry. And he said, Perry's been inviting me to church. And he said, all day. He said, this morning at work. He said, you know, tonight they've got a Wednesday night service at First Baptist, and you ought to go to that service. I'm inviting you to come to that service. He said, all day long, I, I've been thinking about that. He said, to be honest with you, I didn't want to come. He said, it's nothing personal. I've never been here. He said, I just didn't want to come because I worked and I was tired and it got to be 4 and 4.30 and 5 and I just wanted to go home. He said, but something on the inside of me said, you need to go to church tonight. And he came to church and he got saved. I'm preaching. Oh, it wasn't the sermon. I'm preaching Wednesday night out of the book of Judges. One of the toughest books in the Bible. The only thing tougher would have been if I'd been in Leviticus. I'm in Judges. The gospel's in Judges, too, by the way, and it's sure in Leviticus. And I shared it, and three people got saved. I'm saying to you, inviting somebody to church is not the same thing as telling somebody how to be saved. But it's appropriate, depending on the setting that you're in. And so I'm going to ask all of I think about all the people in this room, if we could harness all this power, and if we could say, God, help us, give us discernment to plant some seeds, little things. I'm blessed. God bless you. Water some seeds. Reap a harvest. There's no telling what could happen in this community. And there's no telling how many people could get saved if we would all do our part as a witness for Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, I thank you today that you have called us to be witnesses. You have empowered us to be witnesses. And every day of our lives, whether we're aware of it or not, you have given us opportunities to be witnesses. Help us this week to remember that we're your representatives and we're here to create a God consciousness. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed, as I'm talking about sharing our faith and the joy of faith and the difference Jesus makes, 
I wonder today how many would say, John, I don't have that in my life. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness and I need grace. Would you pray this prayer right now? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be. Amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. In fact, the Bible tells us that the angels are rejoicing in heaven right now. Please let us know about your new life in Christ by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.